0: Follow us on Twitter at A-R-G-L-B-O-R-O. Remembering Louise Michel, from Anarchist Assassin to Banksy Boat, by Clara Vlessing. Louise Michel belongs to no one, argued her close associate Sebastian Faure in January 1905, the month of her death. Pitching into a debate over Michelle's funeral, in which rival factions of anarchists, socialists and Freemasons struggled for symbolic control over the proceedings, Thor casts Michelle's politics as somehow elemental. She eclipses factionalism, embodying an oppositional impulse that supersedes questions of ideology, origins, means, cause and effect. Louise Michel, he suggests stands for the revolution in its entirety, and how could you ever own the revolution? Yet, in the 118 years since that claim was made, debates about who are the rightful heirs to Louise Michel's many decades of political struggle have dominated her remembrance. She has appeared as a figurehead for the French Communist Party, as a foremother to socialist feminists, as a singularly prescient anti-imperialist and as a feather in the cap of the French Republic. And while Michelle's popularity has waxed and waned, in her native France, her cultural presence has remained significant, if not around the world. Across successive representations, Michelle's strident anarchism slips in and out of focus. Sometimes it is a defining aspect of her political activity. Other times, it passes unmentioned, appearing as an archaic demonstration of her defiance or as an unexplained adjective in her biography. This essay explores how an anarchist individual is adopted, appropriated, or even taken as the nominal leader for many other causes, and compares Michelle's domestic remembrance with her international afterlives. Born in 1830 in a chateau in the northeast of France, Michelle was the daughter of a serving maid and, by most accounts, the son of the chateau's proprietors. Following a childhood marked by a tension between the full and wide-ranging education she received and the narrow range of opportunities available to her, she left the town she was born in at the age of 21 and began teaching at small primary schools within the region. She became interested in radical teaching methods and was drawn to Paris where she set up her own day school. In the capital Michelle embraced a loosely defined socialism which focused on the power of the masses to bring about change and emphasised the cruel subjugation of domestic labourers. During the Prussian siege of the city in 1870 she provided medical support for the wounded and besieged. A year later on the 18th of March Michelle was among a group of women who faced down army troops sent from Versailles to suppress a people's militia, an action which precipitated the beginning of the famous Paris Commune. During those months in which the people of Paris governed the city, Michelle appears to have been everywhere. At the centre of a network of communards, Michelle led committee organisations, organised childcare and ambulances, tended to the sick and wounded took part in policy debates and gave triumphant lectures at the commune's oratory clubs. She also proposed assassinating the president, Adolphe Thiers, and offered to do the deed herself, supposedly travelling to Versailles and back in disguise to prove that this journey was possible. But her fellow communards were less enthusiastic about this proposal, and Thiers was spared. The final days of the Commune were violent, culminating in the infamous bloody week in which the Versailles troops massacred Communard in their thousands. Michelle escaped this fate and evaded capture successfully, but eventually turned herself in when her mother was taken hostage by government soldiers. She was arrested and tried for a litany of charges. She offered herself as a sacrifice to the Commune's cause, reportedly stating, if you are not cowards, kill me. However, fearing that her execution might turn her into a martyr, the judges instead condemned Michelle to exile in the French colony of New Caledonia. Through conversation with fellow exiles on the boat to New Caledonia, Michelle came to embrace the anarchist politics which would define the rest of her life. During her time on the island, she became interested in the culture of the indigenous Kanaks and, unusually among the exiled French communards, was involved in Canac's struggles against French imperialism. When she returned to France six years later, Michelle found a large and ready audience. She spent much of the 1880s and 1890s speaking in tributes to the commune, giving popular lectures on a wide range of radical causes across the country, and publishing both historical and creative works of writing. Eventually, after repeated harassment by the authorities, Michelle fled to London and throughout the remaining years of her life she moved between the two cities as well as giving speaking tours across Europe. In 1905 she died in Marseille and was buried in the outskirts of Paris following a large and well-attended public funeral. Her commemoration in France can be divided into several distinct phases. In Sidonie Ferrare's recent monograph, Vive Louise Michel, she explains that from Michel's death until the 1920s, a period during which many of her supporters were still alive, disagreements about how best to commemorate her life proliferated. These ranged from questions about who should organise her funeral to what her statue should look like or whether there should even be a statue of her at all. Following this for much of the early 20th century, Michel's remembrance was largely the domain of the French Communist Party. The party imbricated the Paris Commune into a wider history of social struggle, wherein it was seen as constituting a proto-Soviet protest, and Michel entered a pantheon of exemplary Marxist revolutionaries. This dismissal of Michel's anarchism was controversial among anarchist groups. Who were critical of a communist monopolisation of Michelle's memory. She is ours, all ours, only ours, wrote Sebastian Faure in nineteen thirty-five, a far cry from his earlier statement about Michelle's uncontainability, and a demonstration of his concern that her symbolic potential had been perhaps stretched too far. The 1940s and 50s were something of a fallow period in Louise Michel's national remembrance. But in the late 1960s and early 1970s, several events coincided to bring about a renewal of public interest in her. After the protests of 1968, the 1971 centenary of the Commune corresponded with the decline in the Communist Party's dominance in shaping remembrance of the event and a growing interest from other sorts of groups who stood outside or even against the party. Additionally, a new separation became visible between the remembrance of the commune and that of Michelle, as feminist activists and historians began to analyse and celebrate her as an exceptional individual. Michelle's popularity with second wave feminists soon led to a wider growth in her public appearance and, in a somewhat unlikely turn of events, her eventual acceptance as a historical figure within the national narrative of the French Republic. In Verhage's account, the election of François Mitterrand in 1981 and his appointment of Yvette Rudy as Minister for Women's Rights cemented the wide public circulation of representations of Louise Michel. This is exemplified by the first French celebrations of International Women's Day in 1982, in which Michelle's was among several portraits of important historical women exhibited at Saint-Lazare station. For the same event four years later, a stamp depicting Michelle was issued. And since the late 20th century, Michelle's visibility in French civil society has continued to grow and grow. With the crowning designation in 2004, of the Place Louise Michel, a large square in Montmartre under the Sacre Cœur, the very church that had been built to celebrate the failure of the Paris Commune. To this day, Michel remains the only woman to have a Parisian metro station named entirely after her. In contexts outside of France, however, Michel's appearances are mostly connected with the anarchist movement or with other strands of the radical left. In an article on Michelle's exile in London in the last decades of her life, Constance Batman notes the methodological nationalism that has characterised her representation. As well as identifying masculinist historiographic tendencies that she sees as having undermined the efficacy of Michelle's political activity, Batman argues that Michelle's self presentation across national boundaries has been understudied. This applies both to histories of Michelle's life and to studies of her afterlife, in that her international remembrance has often been overlooked and follows a different trajectory to her national remembrance. Until the late 20th century, Michelle's memory outside France was essentially the preserve of international anarchist groups. For example, two different loyalist battalions in the Spanish Civil War. named after her. As Michelle's French reputation has grown, so too has her international reputation. Her memoirs and other writing have been increasingly translated into various languages. But those viewing Michelle from outside of France have often contested her absorption into a progressive narrative on the part of the French state. In an article on the recent boom in publications of Michelle's writing that began in France, Maria Miguel Martínez identifies and pushes against a tendency to depict Michelle as a revolutionary writer rather than as a writer revolutionary. Miguel Martínez looks at the publication of Michelle's writing from an international perspective and points to early translations carried out by Spanish anarchists at the publishing house Semperre in 1908, shortly after Michelle's death. Bringing the inherent internationalism of an anarchist perspective to Michelle's afterlives challenges the restrictions and contradictions of her dominant representation in France. Correspondingly, Michelle's international remembrance generally gives greater weight to her anarchism and less to her exceptionality as a pioneering woman or feminist. Promoting his 2017 play about Michelle's exile to New Caledonia, British writer and journalist Paul Mason claimed he could never have made the play for a French audience because it included a critical account of Michelle, showing the less attractive nuances of her relationship with the Kanak people. Mason proposes that Michelle has, to a large degree, been claimed by the French establishment. But he notes that outside of France, there are anarchists with tattoos of her face from Barcelona to Buenos Aires. Regardless of the veracity of this statement, Mason attests to a clear split between Michelle's celebration as a national icon of liberty or progress, and that as a luminary for small numbers of anarchists worldwide. In August 2020, Louise Michel's name made headlines around the world. This was not prompted by a commemoration of the Paris Commune, nor was it the result of a celebration of the defining figures of French history. The Louise Michel in question was in fact an enormous ex-navy ship rescuing refugees from the Mediterranean commissioned and financed by the famous millionaire street artist Banksy During its first mission the Louise Michel was overcrowded with refugees and the crew were forced to send out a distress signal The event rippled through the international media prompting many stories about the involvement of the mysterious Banksy, whose identity is largely unknown. With a debate over Banksy's identity and politics to chew on, Michelle's name either passed without comment, or was relegated to a few sentences early on, in which she was mainly described as the anarchist feminist Louise Michel, or, occasionally, the French anarchist feminist Louise Michel. In an overview of news reports on the ship's activities, I found only one in English that led with a more detailed discussion of Louise michel herself. This included an interview with a member of the crew, who verified that they, the crew, had chosen the ship's name, regarding Michelle as the perfect encapsulation of what we believe. The notion that Michelle's life and beliefs lie at the heart of the ship as a phenomenon is given little weight in most accounts and responses. To Banksy's Louise Michel. The Louise Michel ship underlines the relationship between two strands in Louise Michel's cultural memory. Most publicly, it stands as a demonstration of Michelle's flexibility as a figure. As with the naming of the Place Louise Michel in Montmartre, the ship's characterisation of Louise Michel encompasses an all-purpose fight against oppression. But running along this strand is a parallel one in which small numbers of anarchists or those who identify with Michelle politically engage with the specific details of her theoretical ideas and actions. In the example of the ship, its very naming is the result of the allegiance of a few activists. So while in France, Michelle has often been sanitised, remembered as an exceptional woman, a teacher or a saint, outside of France, where it does not have to compete with these representations, Michelle's identification as, above all, an anarchist, still dominates her commemoration. Thank you for listening. To help others find anarchist essays, please rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're interested in anarchist ideas, why not check out the journal Anarchist Studies? For over 20 years, Anarchist Studies has been publishing original research on the history, theory, and practice of anarchism. For more information, visit www.lwbooks.co.uk forward slash anarchist studies.